This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am still recording this as we speak at Fox Media headquarters in New York City, although this may be the last one we do here for a while. More on that in a minute. Uh, My guest today is Brian Windhorst from ESPN. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you are here. We tried to make this work for a while. The last one in. (laughs) You're the last one in the door. Katie, bar the door. It turns out to be very timely to have an NBA expert in to talk because— the NBA is front and center today yeah. with coronavirus. I have yeah. to figure out how to make this a coronavirus interview anyway, because that's okay. what we need to talk about, because right, it's right. the news. But it turns out there is legitimate. Yeah, we scheduled this quite a bit ago. We scheduled uh, events transpired, and now we have You it. know why I was in town initially? was I was supposed to go to London tomorrow. Probably not happening. Uh, not happening. And then I was supposed to go on to Rome. I was taking my mother for her 75th birthday. And um, sad, but not happening. Um, I'm sorry about your travel plans. Yeah, that's that's life. I'm glad you're able to reschedule. Um, Brian is. What's your official title at ESPN? You know, I, I call you I get, NBA reporter. I get, that's totally acceptable. Yeah. And you've been on air for how long now? Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Um, if you've watched ESPN, you've seen Brian on TV. You were an NBA expert. You started off following LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, were you in Cleveland? Were you in Akron? I started out in uh, in Akron. He went to the same high school I did. So you uh, followed was, LeBron older. James your entire yeah, career. Yeah, I did. I want to talk about all that. That's fascinating yeah. to me. But let's start off with with, with news. Yeah. Um, in the last few minutes before we started recording this podcast, city of San Francisco said we're banning all gatherings of more than 1,000 people. By the way, that's going to include uh, the Oakland Warriors. Do we call them the Oakland Warriors? Golden State Golden Warriors. Golden State Warriors. They're not even Gold- in Oakland anymore. Peter, I hate to break it to you. They're in San Francisco. Why? This is irrelevant. And the news was, all right, given that, the the next Warriors game is going to be held in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. and there will be no fans there. They're going to lock the doors, and the players will play in an empty arena. So my question to you is, do we see this spreading throughout the league? Yes. I don't know how fast you turn this podcast around. We're recording this on Wednesday, and you can hear it Wednesday night at midnight. Within days, I expect there will be no fans in the NBA. In Period. Fact, yeah. Um, and I expect there to almost be no fans in American sports uh, for the foreseeable short-term future. I think it's going to just be the way it is. And that won't be the fans' choice. That'll be the leagues yeah, and, yeah. and or the cities the leagues work in. a lot in. of cases, the government is leading. In the case, uh, the, the, the tipping point was on Monday of this week. Uh, Santa Clara County, which is where San Jose is, uh, basically said no fans. You can't have a large gathering. And as soon as that happened, I started to stop watch and said the NBA will be soon after. And it's just it's the time of the year. If this was the sen- middle of summer, it would be 
the ball would be on the, the you know the plate of the uh, baseball major league baseball if it was in the fall it would be college football and NFL it just so happens that they happen to be the first ones to have to deal with this. Yeah, I was talking with some savvy media people last week, and they were trying to project out, all right, who's going to get hit? And they said, oh, baseball is screwed. I think it didn't occur to them that basketball was going to get screwed. Yeah. I think it's, things are moving so quickly. So has the league formally said, here's our policy, or is this a state-by-state, city-by-city? So as we are speaking, the NBA owners are having a uh, conference call. This is exceedingly rare. I've never heard of it. I can't say it's never happened. Typically, the owners meet three times a year, Face-to-face. They actually call them governors. Uh, owners is not a um, uh, desired term. Uh-huh. So the governors are having a call where they're formulating a strategy because they didn't have a strategy for this. And uh, the NBA is going to be hit extremely hard, way harder than baseball because their playoffs are coming up. And um, I could present you a case that playing without fans for regular season games and retaining the television revenue would be okay. You'd obviously take a hit. Yeah, so let's just pause right there. Yeah. So the idea for now, for like the, the Golden State game that's going to happen tonight, is the game's going to go on. It'll be played. It'll count. Um, it will be bad for the fans. Bad fan experience. It's bad for the teams because they're going to lose revenue for, um, I guess the tickets are already sold, but they're not going to sell popcorn and hot dogs and slushies. Um, But they're still going to make money because it's televised. But it sounds like you're thinking that is not sustainable long-term. No, no. First off, they announced, and this is what I think they're talking about right now, they announced they're refunding everybody's money. Okay, good, as they should. That's a significant step because in the NBA, your highest – Dollar tickets are usually paid way in advance. In fact, I'm fairly certain that almost everybody's, almost every team has required their season ticket holders to pay for at least part of next year, next season already. And, and, and by the way, when I see Eddie Q and the rest of Silicon Valley elites on on the court side on that first row, what is it? What does that ticket cost per game? Um, I would say so. In LA, I happen to know that the front row in LA is uh, about forty five hundred a game. Um, a guy that I know has two tickets. It's three hundred seventy thousand for the pair for the season. And so people are paying in advance for the yes. entire season for all forty one games. Right now, uh, a few years ago, I was able to get my hands on the league financials, which did not make the league happy. And there's a huge, vast difference that these teams have. So. Every time Madison Square Garden has a game, they're bringing in around $2 million uh, in uh, in ticket revenue. The Warriors are around $3 million. They're right now, because of their new arena, very right. high grossing. Memphis Grizzlies, we're talking, you know, significantly less than a million. I don't, I don't have the updated uh-huh. numbers, but I would, I would ballpark um, mid-six figures in revenue per game. It's sustainable to lose that. But when you get to the playoffs, the playoffs are the gravy train in all of professional sports, but particularly the NBA because you don't pay the players any more money um, so that your your costs drop dramatically and you are able to increase your ticket prices in some cases two, three, or even four times as you go deeper into the playoffs. And so where a Golden State Warriors or Los Angeles Lakers regular season game may be worth $3 million, where you have the expenses of all the players. A playoff game, especially a mid to late round playoff game, could be worth 10 to 20 million, maybe even more. In ticket revenue. In ticket revenue. Let alone the TV money. Right. Uh, The TV money, I'm fairly certain, is guaranteed no matter what. Uh So when you think about 
the the L.A. market alone, uh, the Clippers and the Lakers are both very relevant this year. My guess would be we're going to see somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 playoff games played in Los Angeles between the Clippers and Lakers. Again, just roughly ballparking, not 100% knowing. You're looking in the neighborhood of 150 to 250 million just in Los Angeles, just from postseason ticket revenue. Without that, uh, which the NBA has baked into their process, their salary cap for next season is going to collapse. Explain, explain what the salary cap means. So the salary cap, um, I'll talk in very broad terms here. The way it works is the, the NBA and the players, the, the owners and the players split the revenues about 50-50. Um, so they take all the basketball-related revenue, which is ticket sales, television, sponsorships, et cetera. Throw it in a pool and they split it Throw up. it in a pool and they basically split it 50-50. And so they project it out to know what the salary cap is. And the salary cap affects what players sign for. Now, if you Salary have a, cap meaning each team can spend this much right. signing up players, and if you spend more, you're penalized. Right. Right now, it's about $120 million. Uh, by comparison, by the way, the NFL is $200 million. But the difference is NBA has 15 players, NFL has 55. So... They projected it out. They've already, you know, set next year's salary cap projection in around $120 million. And they've already had to reduce it because of the l- less revenue coming from China this year as a fallout of the events of last uh, fall. And so I would, I would have no idea, but it potentially could come down millions of dollars per team just based on that. I mean, maybe, maybe 10 or— But that seems like something you can fudge, right? You can go, look, normally we have this— Given that there's a global pandemic, we're like everyone else. We're going to adjust. I suppose, but that's not the way the contract is written. You know, right? And so but there's a lot of contracts that are going to have to. That's get— That's true. You're get, right. Get ripped so up I guess and, we don't know. We've already gone too far into the weeds. But here's what I'll say: This is a long-winded way of saying that I think it's more likely that the NBA suspends. So you think the NBA says we just can't put on games? Yes, specifically for the playoff games. I could see them keeping their head above water taking some losses on regular season games for a while. But I think eventually, if, if this goes on, they will suspend and, and try to get all their playoff games in later on. So I'm still confused. Isn't the penalty and the lost revenue from not putting on TV product more important than whatever they're going to lose, whatever, whatever the implications are for not having fans at a game? I, I don't think they'll lose the TV money. I think the TV money is guaranteed. But my point is, it's enormous. Like, yes— is in a regular season game between Memphis and Atlanta, yeah. is the guaranteed TV money worth continuing to play for versus losing the gate? Yes. When we get to the playoffs, I think that answer is going to be no. So you predict that the NBA will suspend games either sometime during the season or, or if not, by the postseason? My ex- that's my expectation. And if yeah. you And that's, watched, that's an educated expectation. That's an edu- edu- talking it's to my people. opinion, yeah. But it's your opinion, but you've, you're talking to people. Yes, and I also stuff. think if you look at— What's happened in China and in Italy, they had, to, they had to suspend their sports. You know, the Serie A is the NFL of Italy. It's their first division uh, soccer. Right. I saw images of people playing on a, right. a full pitch but an empty stadium. So this is where they started. They yeah. started off saying, okay, only in the north we'll play without fans, but everywhere else we'll play with fans. Well, eventually they said, Every, no one's, there's not going to be any fans anywhere, and eventually they said, this is preposterous. We're shutting down. Um, also, is, is any of this about player safety, by the way? Oh, That's yes. one of the questions I hear people asking. Like, well, isn't it dangerous for the players to be sweating on each other, yes. or bleeding that, on each other, and by even traveling? Of course. And, and if even one player comes down with coronavirus, the league would suspend instantaneously because of the cascading effect of quarantines. 
they are making decisions to protect the players, without question. They're getting the media out of the locker room. They're getting non-essential wait, wait, wait. staff. Yeah, we'll keep, keep, keep going. Nobody cares about the media. That's how the sausage is made. Yeah. It's not important. Um, but that, they're trying to pull bodies away from the players. Uh-huh. Uh, even though I'm talking about finances, just because I'm sort of way I'm wired, they are doing player first. Because if a player gets sick— it's, the league's shutting down immediately, but I don't think it's going to come to that. I think they're going to shut it down anyway. I mean, it seems like statistically, players got to get sick. Yes. Unless they're in a bubble and never leave the bubble. And then it's like, well, what happens if a player's wife gets sick? Yeah. Do we shut, do we quarantine? <laughs> you know, it's, it's I, like, in, I self quarantine myself for the last two days because my therapist is in quarantine. Oh, no. She's not sick, but sorry, I haven't given her name out. But yeah, you can, it can go on forever. So the takeaway is NBA, you think. Basically, it was already disrupted. It goes away in some form or another by the end of the spring. Um, and then you can sort of project out for other sports. Yeah, I think baseball will be put in the same. And I, I think it's going to be out of their hands. Um, uh, it sounds – so um, San Francisco has uh, has officially shut it down. So that means no San Francisco Giants game till further notice. They're a little bit away. They've yeah. got a few weeks. But um, it sounds like as we speak here that Ohio – is sort of next in line, um, and they're going to shut down. They've got two baseball teams in Ohio, uh, and one NBA team, um, and it sounds like um, DC is not far behind. Um, and I think New York is on the watch list. And so the, the governments are going to end up making yeah. the decisions. Here. And it's very scattered, right? I mean, this is not sports, but as of this moment, Bill De Blasio says we're going to have a St. Patrick's Day parade right. coming up uh, Sunday or next week. I'd wager against it. Everyone else is shutting theirs down. Yeah. Even Philadelphia has shut theirs down. Chicago shut yeah. theirs down today. And uh, I have a special Philly thing, which I always bring them up. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think a lot of stuff is moving, and it's why I'm glad we're talking to you today because yeah. things will be different tomorrow. So looking at what's happened in China, looking at what's happened in Italy, any other lessons you can draw from sort of what happens to sports in a pandemic? Well, this is an, actually an interesting moment here. And I don't think the league is here yet. But um, one of the things I've learned from covering uh, sport, I think you learn it in life just in general, but certainly you learn in covering sports, is that in every crisis there's an opportunity. I think there's an opportunity for the NBA here. One of the things that they have been struggling with is that their season is too long. Um, and, uh, it's 82 games 82 plus playoffs. Games plus playoffs. It's, it's – and – there's been falling ratings, and uh, there's, a, there's a scarcity issue, uh, or, or they need a scarcity issue. There's not a scarcity issue, I guess. Right. Um, the NFL has 16 games. Each right. one of those games is an event. Right. It's also a And really sport. what has actually happened in the NBA is certain players and certain teams have decided that the season is actually not 82 games long, and star players are going to sit out these games. This is what you hear about load management. Yes. And, and you we're can not going to have star player play He's going to skip every every third game. Yeah, well, not every third game, but maybe we'll get there. But it's like you say the season's 82 games. We say it's 72 games or we say it's 65 games, you know, and watch. We're going to show you how we show it. Um, this actually presents an opportunity because this potentially could affect this season and potentially affect next season. If, you know, let's just say like China has shut down their basketball league for two months. Now, China was caught flat-footed. We should hopefully, knock on wood, be a little bit better off handle handle this. Let's say the NBA faces being shut down for 
four to six weeks at some point, just ballparking, spitballing, guessing. Uh, we hope everybody stays healthy. We hope every, we hope we get over it as a society, that quarantines work, et cetera. Um, China's about to come back online with basketball. They're, they're calling their people back, and they're looking at coming back in early April. They, they shut down in late January. They would push the NBA, let's say if they have a similar time frame, that they would have to potentially not play their playoffs until later. And maybe instead of the finals being in June, the finals are in July or the finals are in August. And maybe because the season goes late, maybe they don't start the next season in October. Maybe they start the season in November or December, which a lot of people think is a good idea anyway. And maybe next season they don't play 82 games. They play 65 games. The next thing you know, you've been able to test run your theory um, without having to take a vote. You have sort of have this crisis that tests your theory. And, the theory and, and part of the theory is, yes, you'll have less games to get that per-game revenue up, but each game becomes more important. You yes. pay more attention to it. Maybe you and raise prices. And everybody plays in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when LeBron James comes to town, he actually comes to town. He doesn't take that game off. The issue that's been happening in the NBA is we've, we've suffered a um, really unbelievable run of injuries to star players. And um, then there's players who have elected to sit games. And typically, you know, the, the, the NBA plays their big games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And those games abut each other. So a lot of times to squeeze in games, they play back-to-backs. And there are certain players, Kawhi Leonard, the reigning finals MVP being one of them, who's like, I'm not playing back-to-backs, and I'm never going to play them again. And so you play if you schedule me in a national TV game on a Thursday and then on a Friday, I'm sitting one of them. And this isn't them being people who don't want to work, right? This is people saying, we think this is affects my performance. It makes me more prone to injury. This is bad for me and, by the way, my employer long-term. That's what the idea is. The idea this will be better long-term. The problem is, as with, is with you, if I said to you, uh, how would you like to work less? Would you be fresher working less? And you'd say, probably. That would be nice. I'd like to have a couple extra weeks of vacation. Okay, um, we're going to reduce your pay by that corresponding yeah. 8%. All of a sudden, we have a different conversation. So it's very difficult to have that conversation, especially when to get anything done in the NBA, you need 20 owners to say yes. Well, we may be able to agree with 20 owners of the day of the week, but not much else because all of their markets are so different. So the sports scientists have said that the league will be better if it was shorter. The challenge that the NBA has is that the according to the metrics that they've done, the league has never been more popular, but ratings are falling. And part of that is that there may be just more games than is needed. Part of it may be that the 18 to 34 age bracket that they yeah. engage so well, typically, isn't watching linear television. I do want to talk to you about ratings and stuff in a second. Like television, we have ads. We're <laughs> going to stop for one second, and we're going to hear from a, a fine advertiser. Back with Brian Windhorst. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Back here with Brian Renthorst. We've been having shoe talk with producer Jelani, who's definitely the person you want to ask about shoes, not me, not Brian. <laughs> me either. Uh, me. We were talking about ratings. This was on my list of things to talk yeah. to you about. The ratings are down this year for the NBA. Um, for the last 
the last few years before that, the narrative was the NBA is doing great. Their ratings are going up. Mm -hmm. They were still much smaller compared to the NFL, but the NFL is down. And is the NBA doing something that the NFL doesn't get? And, uh, you know, the players are are more famous and you can identify with them and social media is a boon. Now the ratings are down and you Mm -hmm. hear people say, oh, I think the internet's bad for the NBA. My overall thesis is whether or not ratings are up or down in any given year, the same reason that everyone's TV ratings are down are, are the same, which is right. people are spending more time on their phones and whatever else. Do you think the NBA has a specific problem that's specific to the NBA, or do you think this is the—do you agree with the Peter Kafka thesis? They, there's two There's two issues, I think. One is that, and this, as my newspaper background kind of reminds me of, newspapers struggled to adapt to new media because they were addicted to the profits of the traditional model. Mm-hmm. The NBA gets obscene amounts of money. I think it's in the neighborhood of $3 billion a year from their cable television partners, um, ESPN, and, and and I guess it's AT&T now That's because right. they own Turner. And um, that, that puts up a, a digital hedge from these people who want to consume their product on social media or on, you know, apps because they've bought the rights. I mean, we at ESPN own those rights. We're not giving them away. Mm-hmm. So— they want those billions, but they're losing access to the fans. And so it's a challenge with the media partners. And we have tried many experimental things. Things are going on. Um, but that is a big challenge is to, is to bridge that gap where you are able to retain the exclusivity that the $3 billion buys you. But that, that theory is if the games were made available some other avenue than ESPN and Turner and plus whatever your local broadcaster is and your local RSN – regional sports network is, um, that more people would watch? I think what what Adam Silver has explained to me is that their ratings for 18 to 34 does not match their market studies of interest. Right. So they are, they have these interested people that that are in a desirable group that are not accessing their games. Because the anecdotes that I hear, and my kids are younger, and only recently has one of them even acknowledged any interest in sports, um, and they they don't want to watch live games, period. And if they do, they would want to watch the last minute. I mean, again, what you hear anecdotally, they'll come in and watch the last minute. Or if they are watching, they're on three other screens at the same time. And just the idea of watching live games on TV doesn't make sense unless it's something extraordinary like the Super Bowl, which means that it doesn't really matter if you can— because, by the way, you can watch a lot of games a la carte. I, I bought a Timberwolves game for, I think, 7 bucks. Interesting decision. At the end of last year. Well, it was a, play, it was a oh, semi-playoff okay. game. Okay. They're my team, unfortunately. Uh, there are lots of ways to get it, right? It's just a matter of does the audience really want it. Well, the NBA has experimented with this, um, selling the end of games for you know mm-hmm. 99 cents and stuff like yep. that. But they haven't gotten a lot of traction on that. They're working on it. They're trying to figure it out. But at ESPN, we have found that there is immense, immense interest in the palace intrigue of the league, right. the soap opera of the league, the transactional game. Which you can do without watching the game. That's true. You know, um, and so, you know, when you watch uh, Get Up in the Morning or you watch the 6 o'clock Sports Center, you know, very rarely are we going over breakdowns of games. We're talking about contracts, what coach will be fired, what about this feud. And I think there's room for that for sure. But um, the one thing that I'm concerned about as a league, and by the way, this, you know, I'm not a telev- I'm not uh, broadcasting the games. Um, it probably is better for me, a commentator, to have lesser interest on the game, more interest on the other stuff around yeah. because that's what I do. But 
I'm worried that if the NBA sends the message to their fans that the regular season doesn't matter, that they will believe them. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that message has been getting sent with the load management and the less emphasis yeah. on the regular season games. So you're a basketball guy. Um, you're certainly aware of the other sports, but your expertise is basketball. Um, I'm still going to ask you to compare basketball to other leagues. One one of the things you would hear for a long time is the NBA is uh, more adaptable to change. They're savvier. They're more digital friendly. That's definitely a message they want to put out. Whenever there's a new platform to play with, they play with it and then announce that. Adam Silver has come to our conferences because he wants to be involved in tech. Mm-hmm. Um, you also hear that the owners are, are more forward-thinking than, a, say, a baseball team owner or a football team owner. Does that sound right to you that it's sort of a more nimble league and more progressive, not just politically, but just sort of adaptable? They definitely are more open to new ideas. Having said that, the NFL has done a much better job of making their business more of an event. If you look at what the NFL draft has become, which is a three-day extravaganza um, where cities are vying for it, and it becomes a major television event yeah. that they sell the rights to several networks That's for. That's the most boring event in the world. Right. It's exciting for a little while, but eventually you're drafting a fifth-round you know, cornerback from Baylor. They have, they've done a great job of creating new things to sell, the Thursday night package, for example. You know, one of the reasons why the NFL is playing in London, in addition to um, setting up a new fan base in a major city, is that it opens up a whole other window. That, they, that you can play the 9 a.m. game. It's a whole other, you know, you think the, M- the NFL owns Sunday? They don't own, they own it for, you know, from 1 Eastern to, to 10 or whenever the 8 o'clock game's over. They don't own it in, eight, in the 9 a.m., so why not get that? Reps? That's what the NBA has not done a good job of. And I have advocated for a, a change that, that has just not gotten much traction. There's several owners who have talked about it. I really advocate for a play-in tournament where every team would have a chance to make the playoffs. I won't go into the details now, but it would sort of be like a conference tournament in uh, in basketball that we're actually seeing this week where, in theory, the team that's in seventh place in the American East Conference can win their way in. and Because that would create a new product. Brian, I listened to, to Bill sell. Simmons. I thought this was his theory. Well, I think I might have talked Bill into it. Okay. But uh, it doesn't you matter. You say parallel I, thinking is the comedian term. Yeah. Um, so Adam Silver is a major... Uh, English soccer fan, Uh or not just English, European soccer fan. And he has tried to create, he's talked about a mid-season tournament where, you know, know, give people a reason to have interest in the league at different times of the year. In English soccer, there is essentially like three to four different championships you can win. I think in English soccer, you can win up to five trophies. And you're competing in them. Like you may play the team that I follow, which has had a very sad season, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, last year, they played Manchester City twice in four days, and they were in two different yeah. competitions. There's a European championship, there's a league championship, yes. there's yes. a different tournament. And that's different for the American fan to compute, and you, and you can't really duplicate it. But the NFL has done a really good job of creating new things for their fan to engage with and to sell. And the NBA has not done that. And if you were able to create a new event, a new thing to sell, especially to a media, a new media partner— you may be able to reduce the amount of games and still end up net ahead. And that's one of the things Adam Silver has been trying to get to, but he hasn't been able to get much traction yet. Let's talk about uh, uh, sports around the world, um, and specifically China. So I was going to have you in last fall, and as you said, uh, China uh, prevented you from coming on. 
because you were you were otherwise occupied. But so the story there was Houston Rockets GM sent out a tweet supporting protesters in Hong Kong. China reacted forcefully. There was a whole kerfuffle afterwards. Mm-hmm. What was the net effect of that incident? As it was a, a huge story at the time. Went away yeah. as these things. It's went away. He's gone away here, but hasn't gone away there. Trust right. me. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Uh, the net is that um, CCTV, which is the over the air, over the cable. Television State in, in China. Yeah. Uh, and I was in China for three weeks last summer. There's like 18 or 20 CCTV channels. And it's funny. You go through them, and some of them are in English. Some of them run movies. And some of them are just absolutely straight propaganda. Some of them are great Chinese moments in war and history, documentaries okay. over and over. And one of them showed basketball. And, and that's... I mean, David Stern used to tell this story about putting videotapes into uh, a manila folder and mailing them to Beijing because they would play them on CCTV in the middle of the night, and that being the basis for Chinese Chinese business. They're off television over there. They're uh, all NBA games are off? Uh, on on over-the-air CCTV Right, so if you want to legally mentioned. watch it, it's pretty hard to do it otherwise. No, uh, there's, it's off, streaming is available. Okay, so I could um, stream it. I could stream, stream a Bulls game. Tencent, which is... Um, uh, the what it would it be? Would it be the? It's the Google, Google plus the China? Facebook plus the. It's everything. Yeah, you should see their their skyscraper in Shenzhen, China. It's like two skyscrapers meet in the middle, twisted yeah. building. I mean, oh my god, it's amazing. Tencent uh, does stream, but they stream one game a night. They used to stream two, so they're down by half. Um, so fewer eyes. And um, the, the 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 reason this was so difficult was that the Rockets were the most popular team in China uh, because of Yao Ming. It was and, the Chinese player played for them. Yeah, and uh, and now, from what I understand, like uh, it's so, it's still so taboo that when people over there, because they still have basketball shows and basketball. I'm sure they have podcasts mm-hmm. and whatever. They refer to they don't they don't say the word rocket. It's, it's rockets. It's like you know, they say team mosaic. So the NBA isn't entirely cut off from China, but mostly no. no. And Adam Silver has said that he believes that it will eventually return to normal. However, now the coronavirus has created a, another issue, but. Many Chinese sponsorships collapsed this year. They pulled their money, and many more up for renewal. And what Adam Silver you mean has, sponsorships of teams? Yeah, Chinese money, basically. Chinese money going where? To the teams. To the, but, but like sponsoring. Are you talking about uh, a, like putting a logo on on, yes. a, on a U.S. Yes. stadium? Right. Yes. Okay. And like when those games are like shown, in, yeah. I mean, when those games were shown in China, you know, uh, an, an American, you know, even though the games were at eight in the morning, yeah. Uh, the American audience would be three, four million, um, and the Chinese audience would be 15, 18, 30 million. Um, and there would be Chinese advertising just for that audience. And so that's the concern. The other thing is what Adam Silver has said is that um, the Chinese market, they want to come back. They want to come back, but they don't have the, um, the, the, the nod from the government to do so. And it's not even, to use Adam Silver's words, it's not even clear who they're supposed to lobby. Yeah. Who gives know? them the nod. Yeah. And, how do, and again, you're, I know you're not a China expert, but you know more than I do. Do you think this is something where the NBA has to make some conciliatory move? I mean, basically the NBA kind of apologized, and they said, actually, we're not really apologizing. We're not telling players what to think. And, and then the coverage of it was very fuzzy. Um, but essentially, 
there was no formal apology from the NBA on behalf of yeah, the Rockets. Yeah, well, you know, they can't, you know, the NBA can't apologize for, right. for somebody having free speech. It's a complication. They, they could. Business. Well, but, but they did. It'd be extra gross. Um, here's the thing, in just doing game theory. If Hilton, I think it's actually Marriott, offended China a couple years ago by making Taiwan. They said that Taiwan was not part. They made it like mm-hmm. a separate country. If China said, we're done with Marriott, you could just go to Hilton. You could just go to Hyatt. There is no replacement for the NBA. So the NBA's leverage here is something more than zero. Though there are still tens, if not hundreds of millions of fans in China who still care about the NBA. So I think Adam Silver is right. The question is, how long will the damage stay? Um, The NBA, like I said, already lowered its salary cap mildly by a million dollars a team. To, to show for the lack of Chinese revenue. It has really hit the Houston Rockets very hard because they had a whole bunch of Chinese business. Um, but it is, a, it is a factor of life. I mean, it's not, it's not helping the NBA's growth, I mean, that issue. There was this period where that story was a big deal, and then there was a lot of discussion about Apple and, and various companies doing business in China. And basically, we found that for companies like Apple, like, they're, they're stuck. They depend on China for right. production. They depend on China for consumption. But, but the Apple executives don't have to give interviews every day about it. Right. Um, but basically, just that there's, you're, you're kind of, there's no easy answer one That's way right. or another. You can't pack up and leave. Um, but it's also very hard to do business as normal. Do you think the NBA is going to behave differently, sort of regardless of the intricacies of, of the China thing, in terms of like they've been very um, open about letting everyone tweet whatever they want to tweet. Yeah. No one gets restricted, and Draymond Green can you, expose you, himself on Snapchat. You and, can go and isn't on to, you can go on YouTube and find all the NBA highlights you want. Good luck trying to find NFL highlights. Right. So the NBA has been very open about that. Do you think it's some way they try to claw some of that back? Good question. I don't know the answer to that. I think um, I think the NBA feels good about where it's at with its audience. They're just not doing as good of a job monetizing it as they'd like to. And uh, their their revenue is doing had been doing great. Now, this year, we're seeing some headwinds. Um, their business, even though it sputtered a little bit in the last couple of years, their business still was doing great. And they love where they are with the young American and over-the-world public. They just haven't done as good of a job in pulling the money out from it. And... Um, that's going to be the big challenge. That's going to be the big challenge for their for their next you know, their next layer of growth. There's, there's still when I was able to get my hands on the um, uh, audit the financials, there's still quite a few teams. You know, the NBA is very much of a socialistic. So is the NFL, a socialism situation. The really wealthy teams uh, send money to the poorer teams, and he's right there in black and white. I looked at it. You know, they're keeping them afloat. Um, so uh, taxpayers in California and New York say, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, for example, now this was three years ago. I, I think the Grizzlies have done a deal since then. But three years ago, when I got these numbers, the Lakers made more in a week on their television deal than the Grizzlies made in, a, in, a, in, in their whole season. Now, like I said, the, the Grizzlies have done a deal since then. But that's the kind of disparity that we're talking about. Memphis, by the way, regularly was beating the Lakers so on the court. Speaking of big market teams, I want to do a quick aside solely for my colleague, Jason Del Rey, who is working at home. We'll hear this tomorrow. Uh, He is a diehard Knicks fan. It's Mm -hmm. it's a very sad situation to watch him sort of continue to invest time and money into the Knicks. Um, The new and sort of existing conventional wisdom is that team is a terrible team. It will always be a terrible team as long as the owner, James Dolan, can use to own it. Do you ever see the NBA 
stepping in and saying, we're going to find some way to make this better and it's going to involve Jim Dolan selling the team? They've tried. David Stern tried. Adam Silver has, you know, there's only so much you can do. Ultimately, Adam Silver, yeah, I mean, Adam Silver can't award the players to New York. It's interesting. Um, has he tried assembling buyers? It's not for sale, you know. And not only that, but the cost of it would, I mean, I think the Knicks would go for four to five billion. I uh-huh. don't know if they would include the Rangers uh, as well. If Let's just say in theory it was for sale. There's a bunch of rich guys who would pay that. Well, it's the Knicks. So, yeah, I mean, and the Knicks swim in money even as struggling as they've been because they sell out the garden. They have great media rights. Um, you know, the, the – So James the, Dolan's in middle, the late middle age. Um, he appears not to be drinking or abusing drugs, so he's going to own that team for a long time. He has made it very, very clear he has no intention of selling. And this is what happened. I don't want to compare the two of them because the kind of person Donald Sterling was is not the kind of person mm-hmm. Jim Dolan is. Jim Dolan has shown that he may not make some of the best decisions. I don't think he's a bad human being like Donald Sterling uh, proved to be. But f- trust me, for decades, people tried like hell to get that team away from Donald Sterling. Um, wouldn't, you know, this is a sleeping giant. Wouldn't it be, you know, wouldn't it be great? Um, and he was just like, I'm not selling. And they didn't, he never did actually sell. They f- took the team from him. They, you know, did some legal maneuvering and took the team from him after those tapes. So Jim Dolan would have to be found on tape um, swearing at his players. And- yeah, and I just, you know, I, I, the, thing about, the thing about Jim Dolan is when you talk to people who work for him, they say he's a good boss. And he's like, trust I think, me. I think you have to talk to more people. Well, I talk to a lot of people. I like, know. A lot of people, a lot of people think he's a, anyway. We'll compare notes afterwards. What I think is interesting about Silver, you know, and, and this should, any conspiracy about the lottery that you've ever had, and this by mind is dead, buried, and, and forgotten. Because last year, we had this player who would dramatically going to impact the rise of a team in Zion Williamson, um, one of the most highly anticipated rookies in yep. the history. They do a lottery, and they get down to the, the last four teams. And not only Zion Williamson, but the guy who's going to be picked second, John Morant. And they both, by the way, have proven to be terrific players, franchise-altering players. And the way the lottery works is they, they say the teams that didn't win, and then they take the last four teams, and they go to commercial. They go to commercial, and the Knicks and the Lakers are in for those two with the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. Memphis and New Orleans are two of the most anemic markets in the in the country. You could have had Zion Williamson in, in New York. This would have been the NBA's yeah. dream. And Zion and, and New York gets three and the Lakers get four. They miss out on the top two guys and Memphis and, and, and New Orleans get the top players. Trust me. Right. If you want to if you want if to there was, if you want to maximize value, you make sure those players yes, end up in the two biggest And, and that's one of the reasons why the NBA has underachieved a little bit the last few years. The Lakers had missed – they're making it this year. The Lakers had missed the playoffs six consecutive years. The Knicks, I think, have won one playoff series in 20 years. When you're two top markets – the Clippers exist, but they're a fraction of the Lakers. When you're two top markets, have irrelevant teams. And by the way, the Bulls in the third market have not been good for the last five or seven years. It's hard, to, it's hard to make ground. And I'm from Cleveland. I'm not one of these guys who wants to uh, throw everything to the big market. But let's just be honest the way this, this world works. I want to talk to you about, about how you do your job today. Um, but before that, I want to talk about how you got into this job. Mm-hmm. So you, you grew up in Akron? Yes. Uh, outside of Cleveland? Yes, yeah, about 45 minutes. Uh, there's a basketball player there, LeBron James, mm-hmm. who, is, who is, even by what age, was, was a national figure? Uh, well, national. I mean, we knew by the time he was 15 or 16, he was going to be super special. By the time he was 17, he was 
on the cover. He was national by the time he was He's 17. on the cover of Sports Illustrated, yeah. right, at 17. Yeah. So you are covering him then as for the local paper? Yes, the Akron Beacon Journal. It still exists? Sadly, it barely, it barely exists. exists. It's sadly, so, yeah. so is this your first job in, in, in sports journalism? Yeah, I mean, I'd worked there through high school and college as a part-timer, and then I graduated. But, but I was still a part-timer, actually, you know, going to college nearby at Kent State University. I worked there on the weekends. And um, they, he went to my high school, which was not known as a basketball power. That's, be, that's how I became aware of him. Uh-huh. And um, I started going to some of his games, and I was writing part-time. Um, and uh, I really tried to press my bosses for coverage. It was your first job out of college. I'm still in college. You're still in college. I'm sort of like a part-timer. A stringer. Yeah. And I'm starting to to push for coverage of them, and my bosses, even though they'd known me for a while at that point, were like, are you trying to force coverage on your alma mater? I mean, when I was there, I always tell people, my senior year, our basketball team was uh, 3-17. and Our best player was a 5'10 white guy. If your best player is a 5'10 white guy, you know, most of the time, it's not going to go well. And, um, uh, you know, by the time, you know, it turned out. And the, the irony was it was actually a time where I had to fight for coverage of him. And uh, now, uh, you know, for the last 15 years, it's been, when can we have our next LeBron? Yes. When are you going to give it to us? Um, so you, so at some point, you become a sort of full-time LeBron full- James reporter. I became the Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer, and he just happened to go there. I was just very lucky. My first oh, so, Okay, so, so you, you're in Akron. Yeah. And you're assigned the Cleveland. Yes, I got hired yeah. uh, full time, and I was covering high schools and some colleges, and I covered him as well. Right. Um, and then I, the 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 Cavaliers job came open, and I got it. You and take that job, and then he ends up going yes, to the Cavaliers. I was at the lottery across the river in Secaucus in April of 2003, and as soon as the Cavs won the lottery, I knew I was going to be covering them. I knew my life had changed, even though I'd already covered him and knew him. And had a lot of background there. I mean, he could have easily gone to the Memphis Grizzlies and that wouldn't have connected, wouldn't have continued. It's a, I mean, you're already ahead of the game because you have a cool job covering the, the local NBA right. team that in, in 1990... 2003. 2003. Still a great job. Yeah. Right? Even it's internet bubble, first bubble is come and gone. Yeah, yeah. It's still no, a it was, good, I, good gig. I loved it. Now your job gets way better because the best right. player in the NBA or the person who may be the best player in the NBA starts yeah. playing there. And then... At what point did you sort of become the LeBron reporter? That's, That's when I knew— became synonymous because the Cavs were LeBron. But I think— But so, there were other people covering LeBron. Yeah. So how did you carve out so, that, so, that territory? So, you know, I just—because I had the history with them and because we were, you know, relatively close in age, I just I just covered them a lot. I just—I was just there for everything. He knew you. He recognized you. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> he knew me when, I, when, I, when he was 14. Um and uh, my sister went to high school with, I mean, you know, he, 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 my mother was a teacher at the school. My mother had him in class, you know. I always say he knows my mom, I know his mom. Um, he, uh, I, I went on to the Cleveland Plain Dealer, which was the bigger paper there, where I had just wonderful years. And they hire you to be the LeBron yes. reporter. I mean, I, I was effective in covering him. Uh-huh. And at the time, there wasn't as much national media. And so when ESPN needed a story on LeBron and they didn't want to fly somebody in, I mean, they did occasionally. Yeah. I wrote it for them. Just as a freelance yeah. contribution. Yeah. And then they would put you on TV periodically too, right? Occasionally. Yeah. And then in 2010, when he went to Miami, um, ESPN had writers in Chicago and New York, um, L.A. not have an operation in Miami. And so they offered me a job. And that was when I sort of, not sort of, I followed him down there. And that was where I think— So you follow Ron James from yeah. Akron to Cleveland. Yeah. And then you get a—those are two different jobs. Yeah. Then you're in Miami, yeah, now I, working for ESPN, yeah, still I covering LeBron. I moved down to Miami at the same—with this, like, you know, 
on a parallel track. You know, to say with him, it wouldn't be accurate, but on a parallel and track. And is your job, we want you to cover the Miami Heat, or we want, to, we want you to cover LeBron James 24-7? Well, at that point, it was, you know, that team was so, we used to, we used to wonder, you know, back then, you know, the front page of ESPN.com was everything. It was, yeah. Twitter existed, but you put a story on the front page of ESPN.com, it's like a fire hose. Yeah. It is t- to this day, but it, now it's the app and it spreads on social media. But getting one of those seven or eight links on the front under the news stack of ESPN was big. And I had 250 in the first year. Like, I, I, we, I, we would always wonder, like, how far down can I write a story like uh, Team Changes Pregame Meal, uh-huh. you know? Did you, ever, did you write that one? No, but, like, they, like there, there were times when the Heat would cancel practice, like, during some drama, and that would make the simple, mundane thing of we're not practicing today would make that news stack. So the majority of those stories were about LeBron, and, um, you know, I was there to cover the whole team, yeah. but I really— Covered him, Dwayne. It's Wade a three-ring circus, but it's really one ring. And yeah, I, I would like, say that my beat was LeBron, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Chris Bosh, LeBron, LeBron, Miami Heat. Throw in, you know, another player. And, there. and then eventually, he, LeBron James, goes from Miami back to Cleveland. Yeah. You you follow him. To By that Cleveland? point, I had moved to New York. Yeah, and um, sort of moved up a little bit. So I actually haven't covered him day to day. In uh, like six or seven so years. So I was wondering about that. When when you are the LeBron James reporter for an extended period of time at three different publications, do you think, this is great. The best player in the world is my guy. I'm better source than anybody else. I've known him since I was 14. Or do you think, I don't want to be the LeBron James reporter because what if he stops playing or breaks his leg or we don't care about him and I got to have other stuff? Two things happened. One, I wanted to grow a little bit out of it. Two, LeBron started changing the way he dealt with the media. He recognized that every time he opened his mouth, it was like dollar bills flying out. Content, content is money. Yes. And so he started trying to capture that money. Among other players are doing the same thing. Yes. Well, he, he was really on the cutting edge of it. I'm not saying he was the first, mm-hmm. but um, that's what the decision was really based on. The decision was to fill people in. Yeah. In 2010, when he decided to he was going to go to Miami, he decided to announce his choice on national television, yeah. which he used to earn several million dollars for Makes a reality show with yeah. ESPN. It's sort of extraordinary it at was, the time. It was and a classic now. failure yeah. uh, in its presentation. But, like, even now, like, uh, Tom Brady is in, about to embark on a free agency, and he just announced he's having a media company. I don't know what his plans are. I want to be 100% clear yeah. of that, but I'll He will bet certainly be documenting it. That that's going to be part of it. Yeah. Um, so he was actually ahead of the game on that. He just happened to fumble the rollout. But he recognized, and now he's got his own media platform uninterrupted, and he sells all these shows. So to a certain extent, this is, you know, like um, when a star comes on The Tonight Show, there's it, it's a commoditization. It's a, it's a quid pro quo. I'm going to come on and be your star, give you your interview, and you're going to pitch your product. I mean, we all, to a certain extent, I'm bringing on Brian Windhorst here, and I'm going to see I'm my ratings go up. But, uh, you know, so he just sort of got really got involved in that game. And I recognize that there wasn't really going to be as much insider value because what, he was so going to hold so that to was he Was he speaking less at a press conference? Was he not speaking it? Or was he not speaking in the locker room? No, he's still—and even to this day, he's a very available star. 
But um, it became you're going to get what you're going to get with the other 15 people at one time. Oh, so you, Brian Windhorst, even though we go back to when we were both 14, you're not getting the special. Yeah, I don't think it's personal. I think it's like I'm in the media business now, and I'm not giving this to you for free. Right. This is premium. If you're not going to pay for the premium stuff, you can sit and and, and coach everybody else. I'm not paying them. Yeah. So um, I think that in addition to me wanting to take a more more rounded approach, he— was commod- even to this day, you know, he commoditizes his availabilities. Um, occasionally, he'll do some some stuff, but it's way way less than it used to be. And and are the other players doing similar stuff? Are they sort they're of trying. aware? Like they're trying, but uh, you know, they seem very quotable. I, uh, I follow how I have the House of Highlights Instagram feed. Yeah. It's full of players saying and doing weird stuff all the time. Um, and I'm not paying for it. And I don't right. think House of Highlights is paying for it generally. Well, they're owned by Bleacher Report. Correct, so which is owned by Turner. And, right. and, but but a lot of the, there's lots of stuff that isn't happening on the court where That's they seem right. to be aware that they are making content. Yes. And with some sort of sense of that this is creating value. And then I'm wondering when they capture it. Well, uh, James Harden has his own production company. Steph Curry has his own production yeah. company. Chris Paul has his own production company. Dwayne Wade has his own production company. Kobe Bryant got into this business, obviously. I think at some point it's going to have to be more than you're just following me for my workout. Right. You know, but um, they are all recognizing the value there. They're trying to capture it. And because LeBron, I'm a sad uh, Timberwolves fan. I was watching the Jimmy Butler feed for a while, and you could he was trying – this is a – Famous, but not as famous player, and for, he was he was doing his own version of the decision where he was going to have a free uh, where he was going to uh, go to. Yeah, it's the most boring stuff in the world. It's him talking to somebody else. Yeah. And they say, well, wherever you want to go is most important. I know because Jimmy. what you really want to see, they can't show you. Right. You know that's what's happened with Hard Knocks on HBO, which is one of the greatest shows ever. I'm nodding. And they're cutting back, like showing contract negotiations, showing you cut a player. That's what we want. What what we want, they really can't It was really the best show. reality show of all time because people were, were making were, – were winning or losing jobs more or less in real time and you get to watch yeah. it. Yeah, and so that's what people really want. I mean um, what people really want is that kind of access. But so far there hasn't been a whole lot of that. So, I mean – but I'm not in the media – you know, I'm not in that end of the business. Yeah, so how, how, you describe yourself as a commentator. So what is your day-to-day work right now? I – at ESPN, one of the great things we have, and you have it here, it's a multi-platform operation. So today is Wednesday. I did Get Up this morning, and then I did First Take. Um, These are TV shows if you don't yes, watch ESPN. Yes, on ESPN. I'm sure you're watching linear television and paying your I'm, streaming I'm definitely bill. paying. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I mean all the listeners, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have a story about actually what's going on in China right now with with, basket, with uh, their CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association. I hope that's posting. Um, then I'll do some more TV tonight, and then I have a podcast that I'm going to record late tonight from from my podcast, which I have. You should pick up the pace a little bit, Brian. So it isn't unusual for me to do three or four platforms on ESPN. Uh, the magazine has now sort of been reduced, but there were times when I was doing magazine so stories you're making too. lots of stuff, but you're not in the day-to-day business of trying to figure out what LeBron James is going to do yeah, next. Yeah, I'm not a down beat writer right. anymore. But I go to—I spend— 50 to 100 days a year in Los Angeles, and I go to a lot of games there. So I'm still touching the league. Maybe I'm not touching anybody anytime soon, but um, I'm still definitely there in the league. I spend a lot of time talking to executives, agents, players on the side. Like my job is to have inside information and inside, uh, um, you know, insight and predictive insight. And so I spend a lot of time doing that. Is there a change in the way 
players, executives, et cetera, treat you and interact with the press over the years? You've been doing this for a very long time. Um, I would assume they are much more savvy, like we were just describing about the value of the content they're giving you or not giving you. Um, are you sort of – is that transaction sort of explicit and stated all the time or, or no, less? No, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I think – I'll tell you what's really helped is um, for the last four years, ESPN has had this daily NBA show, which we started because of the interest in the NBA called The Jump on ESPN. It's on a 3 Eastern, which I agree is not the greatest time slot, although it lives on on-demand and does well on, on people who watch mm-hmm. it on-demand and also in digital video feeds. But 3 o'clock is an interesting time to capture the NBA player because they're home. A lot of times they're on the road. They're in a hotel room. In their hotel room. And since I've started appearing on that show regularly, which I do six to seven times a month, when I walk into a locker room, even the players I've never met before know yeah. me. This is like being a media reporter. Yeah. Like a, a smaller audience may know you, but everyone in media knows you. Right. And so uh, that's been incredible. So whereas you may have never met a player before and you would have to go through maybe an interview or two before there was any kind of familiarity there, I can – bash through that barrier. Uh, and I that, that happens all the time with players. So periodically, someone comes in, we do a lot of sports conversations on this show, and they'll come in and say, I'm the new ESPN, or my new platform yeah. is the news. It's a digital. Uh, audiences aren't watching this stuff. 15-year-olds aren't watching this stuff. They're watching Name Your Service. Do you find that with the players? It sounds like you're saying, no, they're still watching television. I mean, ESPN is still a gigantic... A huge thing. I mean, first off, when it comes to the NBA, we own it. We have the most regular season games. We have the most postseason games. We own the finals. We televise the draft. We have rights to the summer league. Uh, we have rights to the World Cup. There is probably maybe college football um, is comparable, but even then, their playoffs are a lot shorter, yep. so it's not the same. We are the primary outlet for the NBA. Um, and uh, So if you care about the NBA and if you're in the NBA, presumably you do, you're yeah. going to watch that. Yeah. Um, you're going to interact with ESPN one way or another, one of our platforms. And so that's a good place to be. You know, ESP, you know the NBA is, is a really important thing at ESPN. And, I mean, uh, it gets a lot of support. I mean, the, the quality of, uh, of our broadcast, I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to be a shell for the company. I mean, I think we do a good job. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's helpful that we are so invested in it. Yeah, I won't ask you any more ESPN questions because maybe your boss, Jimmy Pataro, listens. I don't want to get you in <laughs> trouble. Uh, what, what is the NBA player's favorite app? I'm guessing it's Instagram? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just like everybody else. Twitter is still pretty popular with, like, uh, it's interesting. The 30-plus-year-old players are still pretty on Twitter, um, but the younger players uh, very much on IG. And, um, is TikTok uh, making inroads or is that There's a little young? bit of it. No, there's a little bit of it for sure, yeah. Um, but Instagram is um, – the great thing about Instagram is that the way that when you look at it, uh, it's very easy to see the replies and the algorithm puts up the more popular people to the top. So NBA players talk trash, make fun yeah. of each other and stuff like that in real time, and you can see their comments yep. on it. And even though they can theoretically comment on Twitter, and sometimes they do, it's not – the design isn't Right. When I go to Instagram and I look at House of Highlights, I can see right away uh, LeBron James like this. Yeah. I made a comment. We spend quite a bit of time on our various shows recapping – 
what happens in social media between players. So let me bring this all the way around. Um, you can, it seems like you can do a lot of reporting about the NBA without ever going to an arena at this point between the stuff yeah. that's happening on social media, like you just said, you spend a lot of time just talking about that. You have phone, you have email, you have text. We're moving into a world where at least for the very short term, travel's going to really stop. Mm -hmm. And even when it starts up again, I think there'll be sort of a rethinking about, well, do we need to travel for that? Does it make sense? Do you imagine you're going to cover the league differently in in the coming months and years? I mean, obviously, if it shuts down, it's going to be different. But once we get to, like, semi-normalcy, whatever that looks like. Five years ago, I moved to Omaha, Nebraska uh, for family reasons. My wife is from there. We have a son. And I cover the league. I think I'm just as effective covering the league as you I— You own a house. You live there. That's yeah. where you spend most of your days. Yeah, and uh, I have a studio in my home. Uh, there's technology exists where you can have almost studio quality at home. It, it's, it's a little bit of a delay, so it's hard to have a yeah. back and forth like this. But I've done hundreds of hits from my house. Um, I have a voiceover booth because one of the other things I do is write video essays for Sports Center. I have a voiceover booth that I can record. Um, I have a phone. I have a television. You do have to be out in the field to meet everybody, mm-hmm. but I'm on the road 100 to 140 days a year. I spend a lot of time in Los Angeles. Here I am in New York. Over the course of a season, I will probably see 20 to 25 teams. Uh, and if I make it a priority, I could see more. You know, I, I haven't had a chance to catch certain teams Do you teams think in a while. That, that either because you will want to or the or ESPN might say, look, let's just – let's." Pull back on some travel. Don't spend 100 days in L.A. Spend 50. Do you think you you move into that world at some point? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think uh, a location to do your job has never been less important. If I didn't tell you I lived in Omaha, you would never guess it Um, because you see me on television from my home all the time. But you also see me on television from ESPN's facilities, and you won't know the difference because I have a television backdrop with the exact same— set up at my house, and the lighting is actually not bad. It's a little bit different, but it's not It's not bad. It's not studio quality, but it's close. Yeah. So um, it's really made that possible. And I literally do interact with 5 to 12 agents, executives, even players on a daily basis. And that is really – that's where the guts of the communication are. Um, uh, there have been many, many games in Los Angeles where I – come out and spend two hours before the game looping the court, talking to scouts, talking to executives, talking to players, talking to coaches. And then I watch the first half of the game, and I leave. And I I never step foot in the locker room, but I've had 15 relevant conversations. That's what it means to be an NBA reporter. While we do still need everybody to go in the locker room and hear what LeBron James said after every game— Everyone gets the same quote. I'm not in that business right now. I was for a very long yeah. time, and I think it's a noble business, and I consume that content. I need that content too, but it's not the end of the business that I'm in right now. So you provided a nice segue. I just want to tell the listeners here that I might sound different over the next coming weeks because I think we are going to be recording a lot of Recode Media podcasts from home. Um, I really have almost always insisted that we do all these interviews in person. Brian's here right now, as you can hear. I think they're much better interviews. I'm going to have to learn how to do remote interviews, so I, I appreciate all of your patience in advance as, as I learn how to do it. As someone who listens to your podcast, I really hope that you continue putting them out, and we will deal with slightly altered sound quality. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. Uh, Recode Media listeners, I appreciate you. I hope you all stay safe and as calm as you can and figure out— uh, What's the correct term for it? Self-care. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and social, social distancing, distancing is the new one. Uh, you practice it, that. by the way. I can I can tell that you're a social distancer. Uh, when As you can, am I, when I when can you, be. When you can, but I ride the subway, so there's, there's yeah. a limit to what you can yeah, do I saw there. Your, you put it on Twitter today. I, saw I, did, I did tweet it out. Brian, thanks for coming thanks, in. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.